0: Well, good morning and welcome to Treasures of Faith. And I'm just happy to be with you today. And I know as many of you are shuddering in and at home, perhaps you're taking the opportunity to listen to this program. This is a local production of Divine Mercy Radio, and I feel very blessed and privileged to be joining you today. We're certainly continuing to do what we can do, to stop the spread of the coronavirus. But we also want to take the opportunity to cultivate our spiritual lives. And I'm hoping and praying that this will result in a kind of revival for the church. I'm joined by Father Ben Berinti. Father Ben is the pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Melbourne Beach. And he's joining me so that we together can continue our Lenten pilgrimage. Father Ben, welcome back to treasures of faith.
1: Thanks, Bill. It's uh, good to be back again. It's uh, three weeks uh, since I've uh, been here, uh, just to share with your listeners, uh, in addition to everything else that has been going on in us, and our world, and our church. Uh, my mother, Bernadine, passed away uh, a couple of weeks mm. ago, so I mm. uh, had to travel to Ohio for um, her funeral and, of course, celebrated that uh, with my dad, my brother, and my sister under very strange uh, circumstances. But um, so uh, I'm grateful to many, many people in my parish community, my religious community. Lots of folks uh, showed really their kindness and continue to do their kindness and support to me. Um, you know, again, a, cha- a challenge uh, not having other normally other members in my religious community would have traveled to be with me. Uh, I would have been able to come home to a church full of parishioners, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, all of that we're we're not able to do that. So certainly, as many of our listeners are challenged and suffering with uh, mm-hmm. additional burdens in their own life, uh, I'm certainly, uh, you know, in touch with those and empathetic to those because we're experiencing that in my own life. But um, it's good to be back. Uh, this is uh, the nature of our pilgrimage has changed dramatically yes. <laughs> in so many ways since we left off uh, three weeks ago, and I am sure that as we think back and hopefully listeners might even, I would say, maybe encourage them to go back to uh, the WDMC website and maybe re-listen to uh, the podcasts and in a sense of re-listening to them through the experience of what we're going through now. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, some of those themes and those topics are going to sound very different uh, to us and maybe Mm God will provide us with a different kind of insight into our spiritual journey uh, based on where we are now versus where we were three, four, you know, five weeks ago when we began this journey.
0: Well, I know, Father, for myself and the staff here at Divine Mercy Radio, along with our listeners, we have been keeping you and your family in our prayers. And I- I'm-, I'm thinking about when you said coming back to an empty church, it's interesting, Father, that as I have talked to Uh, priests in particular and even some deacons talking about how as we as lay people are missing being with you at Eucharist uh, you also are missing your parishioners and I'm thinking you know sometimes ministry can be tough and we start wanting to escape of the people, and yet in reality what the Lord is showing us is the blessedness of community. And I've often been thinking now about the beauty of the communion of saints, Mm -hmm. that they are in our midst, and to celebrate this in a way that reminds us of the beauty of our Catholic faith.
1: Yeah, in uh, our church in Melbourne Beach, in Immaculate Conception, we're not quite as uh, tech-capable and tech-savvy as some of our larger uh, brothers and sisters around the diocese, so we're just doing what we we can do, so we're not live streaming or FaceTiming or anything else, uh, our liturgy. So since I have been back, um, as we continue to celebrate uh, the Mass, as I have been celebrating it in church, uh, to an empty church, um, also given the decrease in our finances, I have not been turning the air conditioner on either, Mm -hmm. so it's it's a hot and toasty uh, time in there. But this whole experience of, you know, I'll be a priest 35 years uh, this summer— Mm. And I have, in those soon to be thirty five years prior to this past week, celebrated the Eucharist alone only one time wow. in my life Wow um in my priestly ministry, I know i mean in general, the church frowns upon priests celebrating mass by themselves, you know the sort of the law is at least one other person has mm-hmm. to be there mm-hmm. um so I to me. Uh, the Eucharist was, was never something for me to ever celebrate just by myself so that I could say I celebrated Mass today or had an intention or something, and I, different priests have different feelings about this sort of thing. So this has been a very uh, challenging, unusual uh, thing for me uh, on many, many uh, levels, because at the heart of, as we will see today in talking about the Paschal meal, uh, the absence of, of community um, you know, we have been talking about uh, people sharing in spiritual communion, and, and I'm, I'm happy to see and to hear from people. Uh, this is a painful way of being in communion, but it's it's something that the Lord does uh, provide for us. But, mm-hmm. you know, the truth of the matter is the body and blood of Christ were never meant to be spiritual in the sense of something you just think about or you feel in your heart. This is take and eat, take and drink. So, you know, for all of us on on many levels, and I was thinking the other day as I was getting ready to, um, to prepare for Mass uh, in the church, I thought to myself, geez, you know, Maybe it would have been easier if I was from the generation where mass was conducted with my back to the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I wouldn't miss them so much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you well, know. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, so I was thinking, it.
1: you know, if you had been raised in a life of this was the standard yeah. way. I mean, you yeah. kind of knew people were behind you. <laughs> but, but really, they, they, their, their presence in a sense— didn't quite play such a visceral mm. role in in mm. the celebration of eucharist well you know i am of a generation where um i have celebrated the mass ad orientum on a couple of occasions mm-hmm. uh, not so much by choice but i happened to be in a parish where this was the practice while, while i was mm-hmm. giving a parish mission there so i complied with the uh with the uh you know protocols of the parish mm-hmm. so but i did i thought to myself is no this is so central to be literally surrounded physically, uh, corporeally with the body of Christ. And so um, it's a challenge, certainly for all of our listeners, for so many people and unable to receive the physical body and blood of Christ. Uh, We priests and occasionally some deacons and maybe a few others who are assisting in music, you know, during these days of closure, um, have been able to literally share, take and eat and take and drink. So I I certainly don't take that lightly Mm -hmm. that we share a a grace that so many of our people um, cannot share, and but I will share with your listeners that as I have been consuming the body and blood of Christ, uh, I am doing so with everyone sort of in my mind and in my heart who are unable to literally take and eat and take and drink. But it's uh, it's been quite a quite a ride, shall we say.
0: I don't think that we genuinely appreciate God's intention for us to truly be one, Father. I mean, this is something I think you've been reflecting on, something we could uh, certainly talk about another day. Well, we are rejoining Father Ben on our Lenten pilgrimage, and we've already uh, made a stop in the sense that we made our way up to Jerusalem. And we talked about the highs and the lows of pilgrimage. We spent a, a fair amount of time on that. And then last time, uh, we found ourselves in search of an upper room. And today, Father, I guess we're returning to the upper room.
1: Yes, uh, sort of a good place to uh, come back to, since that's where we left off three weeks ago. Um and at that time, we were uh, our journey was taking us uh, in search of the upper room, and we reflected on some of those uh, Scripture passages in which Jesus says, go and find the place for us to celebrate uh, the Paschal meal, and, and how important it was for the Lord to gather his people in intimacy. And as I said, you know, now as we reflect on the situation of our life right now, not only our, our daily lives, but our, our spiritual lives, Um, we are feeling the pains of not having a place of intimacy to really Mm -hmm. come and be uh, together and that's really what that upper room represented well today um, in our reflections we're going to stay in the upper room but we are going to move specifically to stop at the table of the paschal supper and to uh, reflect on that today the meaning of what the paschal supper what does it mean to even call it that what's What's the what are the roots of this, this upper room meal? And then we're going to spend quite a bit of time reflecting on, you know, we talk about the Last Supper. We traditionally call this Paschal meal the Last Supper, but as you and I and our listeners know, this was not the last supper Jesus ever shared. Um, and in fact, he had shared many suppers beforehand, and all of those in a sense had a share in what happened at that so-called paschal supper so we're going to explore many mm. of the meals that mm. uh, jesus had today and then uh, finally um we're just going to take a look at what's the meaning of table in our own lives and i think again the meaning of what happens when we are truly at table both eucharistic table as well as the table of our own homes and now that frankly people are spending much more time gathered at their mm-hmm. uh, family tables mm-hmm. um what is really the meaning of of table in our lives uh, as christians and how are we meant to care you know how can we be in a sense living everything that eucharist is all about how can we be living that at the now the home altars the home eucharist table so a lot of things on the agenda for for today as we go to the table of the upper room
0: you know father we are in year a which is the gospel of matthew and one of the things that emerges from the text is and something we may not is Uh, Catholics have that great appreciation for is that Jesus is being portrayed as the new Moses. And so when we think about how Jesus ascends the Mount and we think about Mount Sinai, we also think in terms of the whole concept of Passover and what actually happened back in the days of the Exodus that really do have a significance to what Jesus is doing in the gospel.
1: Absolutely. And of course, you know, Matthew, um, uh, more predominantly, because he's trying to attend uh, more so than the other synoptics to um, Jewish heritage and Jewish themes. So even uh, the, the little example that you gave there, you know, in Matthew, Jesus goes up the mountain to deliver the Beatitudes, the new law, if you will, the new commandments, because that's what Moses did, other gospel passage, Jesus is on the plane. Mm-hmm. You know, not so significant for mm-hmm. him to go up and break open the the new law. So so Matthew has that as a predominant um, concern. And so, of course, when you get to the Paschal Supper uh, happening at the time of Passover, uh, he spends a lot of time trying to... And, and the other gospel writers do as well. I mean, John has his own sort of take on what's mm-hmm. uh, happening here now. But the, the absolute and it's not really even a parallel. Uh, These are intermeshing uh, stories, so they're not even running side by side. Exodus, Paschal Meal, freedom from Egypt, and then, okay, here's Jesus, Paschal Meal, Mm -hmm. freedom from sin, opening up to eternal life, is thinking as they're running in sort of parallel tracks. They're actually intermeshed with each other, Mm -hmm. and even the details of each of the evangelists talking about what is going on in this upper room around that paschal supper why is it even happening mm-hmm. <laughs> why is this why is the passion even happening at the time of passover mm-hmm. is because there is this absolute link between the liberation the freedom of israel the hebrew people and the freedom that the new israel is about to experience uh, even more so, so that that whole business of um, what happened at the time of the Exodus is absolutely certain. And of course, uh, when we share the Scriptures of Holy Thursday, this is our first you know first reading. It's talking about uh, liberation. We come back to that story again um, during the Easter Vigil. So, exploring the meaning of that. Uh, and, of course, as a member of the Congregation of the Missionaries the Precious Blood, uh, the blood of Christ and the Paschal blood is, uh, is really a central piece of this whole experience as well. So in Exodus, uh, you know, we all sort of remember this part of the story. Uh, this, I think this is a good place maybe to begin our exploration of the, the liberating Paschal meals in Exodus 24, 6 to 8, where people are marking, you know, how are they saved, that's the question. How are these people saved? They're saved by the blood of the Lamb, literally. Mm -hmm. No blood of the Lamb on your doorpost and lintel, no saving. Yep. Uh, So here we, you know, we eventually see now the precursor of what's about to happen on Calvary on the cross without the blood of the Lamb slain, no freedom, no liberation, no opening to eternal life, so that the blood for the Hebrew Israelites – becomes the sign of liberation. There is going to be no freedom unless this blood mm. uh, is shared. And what mm-hmm. we know what they do. They mark the doors and the limpo. So the very beginning, I guess you just say, is what's the first requirement in this tradition, uh, in this spiritual heritage, in salvation history? What's the first step on the way to liberation is sacrifice and blood becomes the mm-hmm.
0: saving tool. Mm-hmm. I know that, um, you know, even today as we watch uh, TV on a regular basis now, I can remember as a child watching, I I used to like all these war shows, you know, about World War II, but it never showed any blood, Father. (laughs) Now, you know, you turn on just about any television program and you're going to see lots of blood. And I'm thinking about this in terms of, we're being exposed to it more are we kind of being coming more jaded about the idea of blood and yet back in the days of the exodus people would be very familiar with it simply because they were slaughtering animals i mean none of us are slaughtering anything that we're going to eat tonight um, but that was a very different culture but they had an understanding about blood that we don't necessarily have we just want to be away from it even though we like to see it i guess you could say right
1: you like to see it if it's in a movie on a screen yeah uh, but but not so much when it's uh no. No. you know it's uh, it's one of the reasons why i've never actually been able to give blood sadly to say is because one i take one look down at my arm and uh yeah i'm start not getting a, dizzy right huh? i'm not of much use to much use to them so unfortunately it's a practice that i've never been able to participate in but you're right i mean and this is i think this is a challenge for us is on many levels in our culture and society blood we have such a a complicated understanding of it because it is shed uh uselessly Mm. uh Mm -hmm. in so many different ways throughout the world and in our culture and we are so almost immune to oh there's another shooting oh there's another Mm -hmm. dead person then you put that together with what we see in movies and videos and television where there's just massive amounts of blood i mean i I was watching something for a few moments uh while i was at home with my dad and i don't know some kind of a movie and you know in three minutes a hundred people were killed by one assassin Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. uh, and all the bullet holes are nice and clean yeah you see a little trickle so we have this really uh strange and really unappreciative sense of it except amongst many lessons we're learning now uh, during the corona crisis is you know people are not giving blood blood banks are incredibly short Mm -hmm. Um, blood is in great supply for people who are not suffering from coronavirus but Mm -hmm. everyone who's suffering from the normal things that are, are going on but but for for the jewish people and particularly in the time of jesus i mean blood for the scriptures blood is life absolute life mm-hmm. and even when it was being sacrificed from animals um either at the time of the exodus or even in temple worship of jesus's time this was an act of of of, of sacred ritual because this blood was the agent of life and blood was the agent, especially for the Israelites. It was the agent of transformation. Mm-hmm. It's the agent of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so, in a culture that uh, sort of looks, not you know, unmoved uh, by the sight of blood, the cheapening of blood, and mm-hmm. uh, the shedding of blood, uh, it's it's hard for us to recapture how central this really is. But I think for us, underneath the surface of all the uh, our misunderstanding and our lack of appreciation of it, I think we do really realize that, you know, blood is, is sacred. This is still the life of people uh, pouring out. We even say that, you know, those of our listeners who are great donors and don't have the problems I do with a twisted stomach and donating blood is that's, that's the advertisement. Give the gift of life. Mm This is what the red cross give the gift of life. So we, so that's an important thing to understand for us as we explore Jesus and his followers gathered around the table of the Paschal Supper. When the Israelites marked their doors, their lintels uh, with blood, they themselves, in a sense, were marked with blood. In fact, you know, recall Moses, uh, literally in Exodus sprinkling yes. blood earlier yeah. you know, or on the, the people. On the people themselves. Yeah. Uh, we would have been horrified. We, yeah, at we would have exactly like been that. horrified <laughs> by that. But so so for them. And, you know, jumping ahead to our own uh, Eucharistic spirituality, to be marked with the blood is to be marked for life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a sign of life. So as these followers of Jesus are gathered around this table of the Paschal Supper in the upper room, yes, Jesus, take and eat, this is my body take and drink this is my blood blood is still the central theme here even when jesus is offering his body Mm -hmm. because think about what does it mean for jesus to give his body to us well for him to be able to give that body to us it has to be broken and life has to be poured out Mm -hmm. so in a sense body of christ blood of christ they're not visually they're two different Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. But when the Lord says he is giving his very life for us, body and blood are, mm-hmm. are intertwined, because how is he going to give life through his body? Well, yes, he taught, he preached, he healed. But in this moment and in Calvary, the way he gives his body is a body broken, a body pierced, and it's that lifeblood to the last drop. Remember where only water comes out. There's nothing else to give. So I think as we you know just begin this um, we think of table as a time for meal, but before we get to that, we have to recognize that people gathered around this Paschal Supper, they're marked for life. Mm. You and I are, are marked for life mm. uh, because blood, for Jesus' culture, blood is, and for Moses and his people, it was the binding force. They were bound together as God's people. They were bound to each other mm-hmm. uh, by the, the shedding of, of, of blood, and even more so as Christian people, we are bound together. Um, The blood of Christ is still an agent of life and freedom and transformation for us as well.
0: And I think, Father, it's in Luke where Luke talks about how the blood is the sign of the new covenant. So we have that reference again taking us back Uh, to the old but finding fulfillment in the new
1: right i mean it's it's fulfillment um and also another way of looking at it is uh so i would say this and certainly throughout all of the gospels but particularly in the passion narratives uh, everything is being done and and shared and the experience is being described through the lens of all of the old testament prophets exodus and but then what happens to it is it all gets enlarged, expanded, Mm. taken Mm. to a whole nother level. So this is the blood of the new covenant. So what it means is all the stuff about the old covenant and, and how the old covenant was brought about, that doesn't go away. Right. It's, it means all of that plus and more and more. And I think sometimes maybe Mm. as Christians, we focus on the and more, uh, and we forget about what all the connections were prior to the and more. But I think to really grasp what does it mean for Christ to be the new Paschal Lamb slaughtered, it, it, you have to have some sense of what did it mean for the the Paschal Lamb to be slaughtered to save the people. Mm-hmm. All of that is still going on, but uh, magnified uh, with you, if you will. And in your reference there to yes, it is the new mm-hmm. covenant. But as the church always teaches, it didn't absolve the old covenant mm-hmm. like that and then, okay well that that served its purpose for x number of years uh, this many centuries millennia so we're going to put that in the closet and now we go forward no yeah. all of that is brought mm. into the present and then it's no longer a lamb from a farm it's the son of god himself who has to endure the same thing that lamb in other words for that lamb to be saving for those israelite people ready to be in flight ready to be on pilgrimage yeah. the only way that lamb could be a saving Uh, reality was it had to give its life. Mm. It had to give its body. It had to give its blood to be saving. So here is just blowing our minds and our hearts that this lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world had to go the same way.
0: Mm. You know, father, as you were explaining that I was thinking about how there are various people that are stuck along the way of that kind of timeline that you've given, because the Jewish people, they're still back, and they'll have their Seder meal or regard the Passover. Um, We as Catholics have, I think, a better appreciation for not only the old, but also the new. And, of course, we have the Eucharist. I was thinking about the world that I was in for so many years as a pastor, where we looked at the whole idea of the Last Supper, only thinking about it in spiritual terms. Mm -hmm. So you've got people all along this spectrum that are stuck in one place or another, and yet I see us as Catholics keeping that balance with our sacrament. Uh, keeping a balance with an appreciation for the meal and the sacrifice at the same time. Although that's sometimes been challenged, also.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, we're, uh, I think, in everybody's uh, individual sort of outlook on the Eucharist and spirituality, we, you know, kind of, as the church has always done for centuries, we kind of teeter totter between mm-hmm. uh, emphasizing, overemphasizing, underemphasizing. Uh, you know, what, what's really taking place here. But what, what we share in common with the Hebrew, Israelite, Jewish people is that even today, when they are celebrating Passover, celebrating the, the Seder uh, Supper in particular, is they're recalling uh, God's actions in the past, but not for the sake of recalling them in the past. They're not a happy memory. It's not like oh, mm-hmm. some nostalgia. Like you know, many of us are suffering through a lot right. of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Of uh, and we're not talking about nostalgia from our youth. We're talking about nostalgia from three weeks ago. Well, geez, I remember when I used to just go yeah. in and and do this or so
0: nice. Yeah, you know, all yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. So.
1: So they don't do this for nostalgia because it's the understanding is that God is doing the same things, if not greater things, today. That's why we need to remember that. Mm-hmm. So certainly within the mm-hmm. theology, spirituality of Eucharist, yes, mm-hmm. we are uniting today's Mass with uh, Christ's act on Calvary, but it's about God freeing and liberating people now, now. God feeding mm-hmm. people now. And it's mm-hmm. hard to recognize uh, God doing the kinds of things God does now if you don't have some kind of a reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do. I mean, I agree with you. We, we, um, I mean, I've always uh, been challenged by um, the whole uh, evangelical reformed uh, understanding or shall I say lack of understanding of mm-hmm. the whole Eucharistic meal In so far as what could be plainer to... Uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who take the scriptures absolutely Literally, seriously, yep. how did you wiggle out of taking <laughs> take and drink? I just never. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's a fodder for <clears throat> another program where you can be nostalgic about J- John
0: six sixty three, <laughs> where he talks about it being spiritual. They always spiritualize it at that point, although obviously they're disregarding so many other words of Jesus. Father, what is it about? Um, especially, I know Luke's gospel. It's almost like Jesus is always eating somewhere. (laughs) And, you know, I'm thinking, I used to think he must have been a good Baptist, you know, because of the way he likes to eat. But in reality, I've discovered, no, good Catholics, we're all about eating too. But again, to be more serious, it just seems as if we have these beautiful portrayals of Jesus with people around a table and it's not just about the eating there's so much more that he is offering
1: absolutely and I mean I think uh, what we like to explore now is uh, what often is referred to as Jesus's table ministry table fellowship um, and we do so because for all the gospel writers uh, we're gonna zoom in on Luke momentarily but for all the gospel writers in other words to even understand this paschal meal of the night of the beginning of the passion to understand that we not only need to look to the great meal of liberation of the Passover of the Israelites, but also every meal that Jesus undertakes in the New Testament prior to the Last Supper has a connection to that Last Supper. Mm -hmm. In other words, the Last Supper doesn't just drop down out of the sky as a special event or, Mm -hmm. oh, because it's Passover and we need to you know connect the lamb slain with the lamb slain it's no this this is like the apex the culmination of a whole three-year life and ministry of doing things at table Mm. only now there's this great crescendo in the paschal supper so it's in other words to understand the paschal meal of holy thursday it's helpful for us to see well what other kind of what other kind of business was going on mm-hmm. with Jesus and and meals? In other words, this table fellowship, this table ministry throughout his life and mission, uh, because they always were acts of acts of liberation. And uh, Luke is a premier uh, place to explore those. So maybe when we come back from our break, we'll go in and take a look at uh, what Luke does with the whole table fellowship.
0: Well, Father Ben is joining us as we continue our Lenten pilgrimage. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back on the other side. Stay with us. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, Melbourne, Vero Beach. Welcome back to Treasures of Faith. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. And it's a real privilege to have Father Ben Berinti with us. Uh, many of you may know that he is uh, a rather accomplished speaker here in the diocese and around the country, I guess around the world also, So, uh, but Father Ben has uh, chosen to be with us for a Lenten pilgrimage, and uh, we have found ourselves in the upper room on our pilgrimage, and we've stopped around the table of the Paschal Supper, and we just began looking at Uh, the different events specifically in the gospel of Luke and other uh, gospel readings that give us a sense about these many meals of liberation father help us with it
1: yes um, again you you know Jesus's meal ministry extends to all of the the scriptures and they are uh, all the gospel accounts and discussed in a variety of different kind of ways but Luke um, Luke is the premier uh, meal person so uh, even though luke was uh, jewish um, i always think of luke as he is actually really italian because it had something <laughs> to do with you, know, you, you, you can't do anything unless there's food and plenty of it so when you look at the gospel of luke as a whole in luke there are 19 different meals mm. that jesus shares mm. so it's a great place to look at and mm. explore more specifically and i will share with us a little bit later on well t- did luke just love to eat Um, No, this is part of the overall mission of Jesus from the very beginning, and meals play a very special role in there. So, uh, again, in the Gospel of Luke, 19 meals are talked about. 13 of those meals in Luke are unique to Luke. Mm. So six of those meals, you will find the circumstances of the specifics of that meal or the Mm. presumed meal that's taking place. In other words, sometimes Luke will actually talk about the like what's happening during the meal. Other times it's it's sort of by reference. Oh, he is he's at the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus eating. But 13 mm. out of the 19 mm. are only found in Luke. So there's something really special going on there. Um uh, one of my uh, professors that I had when I was at the Catholic Theological Union during my theology studies uh, was a Franciscan uh, priest by the name of Father Robert Caris, and uh, Bob was a, a great New Testament scholar. Um, written many, many, many books on many things about uh, the New Testament. Um, Really great books to read. We used to say about uh, Bob, and I'll beg forgiveness for this, but uh, much better to read him than to sit in class with him. Um, Yeah, it was more engaging to watch paint dry than to actually have him in class. But an incredible writer. So, after about two shots of taking this world renowned scripture scholar, I thought, you know what? The rest of it is going to be just by reading the books, not sitting in his classroom. Uh, But anyway, Bob, uh, actually, one of his really great books, and I would recommend recommend this for people to read because it's really a very interesting read the title of the book is eating your way through luke's gospel Mm. eating your way through luke's Mm. gospel is a book he published in 2006 and what he does is he explores the table ministry of jesus Mm. and its import and its and its impact Mm. on Mm. the overall uh, uh, gospel of luke so luke there is no other gospel as focused on meals um, on banqueting Um, on fellowship as the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, we'll take a few moments to kind of remind ourselves and invite people to come back and check out a few of these stories in particular, But, but here's the starting point in the sense of, well, why is Luke preoccupied with this? In the Gospel of Luke, he is the only evangelist to have Jesus quote the passage of the year of Jubilee when he goes to the hometown synagogue and proclaims what his mission is about. Mm -hmm. Now, other gospel writers have him in the hometown. In fact, they don't even call it by name. They just say he's in his hometown synagogue, and he gets up and he teaches. Mm -hmm. Luke is the only one that says, Jesus reads this passage, opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and says... And what that passage is, it's the declaration of the year of Jubilee. Jubilee, It's the Jubilee year in his hometown. And so for Luke, this is not just a minor detail. He spells this out because for Luke, it is a critical announcement. Everything that is going to come now after this, Jesus's entire mission Mm. of preaching, teaching, healing, uh, meal ministry, and in fact, his very passion, death, and resurrection are all about the fulfillment of what happens Mm. in Jubilee. Mm. So one of the things you do in Jubilee is you feast, you banquet, Mm -hmm. you feast, you um, there's time for leisure. There's time for restoration. And so Jesus is giving all of this. Yes. The blind are seeing the lame are walking because this is a time of festivity festival. Mm. So Mm. what kind of festival are you going to have without food? Food. So this, in a sense, is on a um, not only theological and spiritual abstract level. Every action of Jesus throughout his mission is going to be, oh, yeah. Hey, remember, <laughs> this is the time of of Jubilee. And that's why for Luke, meals, mm-hmm. amongst many things, are central to the mission of Jesus. And as you alluded to earlier, there's a whole lot going on during these meals mm-hmm. than just simply sitting down and wolfing down some food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and i think hopefully that's the lesson we, we are learning as people are gathering more for meals at home yes um things that we have forgotten about those and again as we go on we'll see there are there's some beautiful things about being around the table together there's challenging things of being around the table Mm -hmm. together but you and i know from our own experience there is a lot more going on here than just simply oh i like this oh i don't like that oh that's my favorite food no that's not my favorite food and so for luke always jesus's meals um eating so let me put it this way i guess backtrack for a moment In Luke's gospel, eating for Jesus is always a very serious, it is a joyful uh, business, but it's also dangerous. The way he conducted these meals is dangerous. Mm. Uh, Even Matthew tells us that. Luke also tells us that. What was Jesus's reputation? He's a glutton and a drunkard. Mm -hmm. He's excessive. Mm -hmm. He ate and drank, especially with notorious sinners. Mm -hmm. So, So when Jesus sits down for a meal or invites somebody to a meal or invites himself to somebody's house for a meal, this is serious business going on here. So it's worth our, our while to, you know, look at a couple of these stories to see, okay, yeah, now that I think about that, this makes sense.
0: But we can all identify with the table ministry of Jesus because everybody eats you know, it doesn't matter how wealthy or poor you are, even though if you're poor, you may have rice and beans or whatever the case may be. But the simplicity of it, Father, kind of brings us and draws us all in to that ministry of Jesus and how whatever he is doing at that meal does really free people. There is this liberating factor for all.
1: Right, and because... You know, within the tradition of Jesus and and again, our own tradition of whether it's, you know, home uh, meals at the home altar or whether it's meals, uh, the sacred meal of Christ's body and blood in the Eucharist. uh, Think about think about one of the great promises of the prophets of Israel that come to fulfillment in Christ, not only in a year of Jubilee, but think about, you know, think about Isaiah 25, 6. God is going to prepare a rich feast, Mm, mm -hmm. a rich, rich food for all peoples. Uh, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. So, so again, there's a lot going on at meals because for Jesus's folks, this is the epitome of liberation and freedom and salvation. And just back to a point that you mentioned, for most of the people of the Jewish heritage, in including the people of Jesus of his own time and his followers, the best of wines, banqueting, meat. Of all things Mm. that was only reserved for the wealthy. was only reserved for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. Most of the people of the Lord's time would have been vegetarians. Yeah. So to say that what's what's the premier symbol? We even say this in our own Eucharistic language. What's the premier symbol of what it means to be with God uh, in this life or the life to come? You know, we're sending our loved ones on to the banquet table of the Lord in heaven, the banquet Mm -hmm. table where the communion of saints, something you talked about earlier, are joined. There's even a deeper meaning that this extravagant table is not something that most of Jesus' followers would have. It was something they only dreamed of, Mm. as do many people in our own world. They only dream of, Mm. uh, I I remember... uh, Thinking about that in a third world country, one of the priests in my religious community had gone to visit our missions years ago um, in Latin America. He uh, was actually our provincial at the time. And he was uh, visiting our members there and was invited to a very simple house of some of the people who were living in the mountains of Guatemala uh, where we serve. And, uh, you know, classic sort of thing as you think about a dirt floor, two rooms. Probably about eight people living in there. Mm-hmm. So the family, uh, this is the provincial of the Missionaries of the Precious Blood, come from North America. This is a great uh, treat for us. And so he's invited to these people's homes to to share a meal. So they weren't even able to serve rice and beans. They served uh, just kind of a brothy uh, soup. But as they were passing the bowls around, the bowl came to him, and in the middle of this bowl was a chicken claw oh. sticking up <laughs> out of the middle of it. <laughs> Well, his first reaction, of course, as he tells the story was, uh, oh, no, please let let me pass this on to someone else. And and uh, the one of the members of my religious community serving in Guatemala kind of very quietly said to him, no, you you have to take that. That's the only meat that this family Mm. has even come across in the last several months. And you are the honored guest. And this is for you. Mm. So he he ate it in that. In that spirit. But I, mm. I tell that story because it, you know, it's it's jarring, but it reminds us that we're used to, you know, even now in our time of crisis, you know, we're still going to the stores and right. we're still buying what we need to buy, maybe a little less yogurt than you had a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. But uh, so. These meals of liberation were occasions of great extravagance, and Luke often tells these stories within the context of extravagance is going on. Mm. Uh, on many different levels, mm. forgiveness, uh welcoming back. Because my point is, from the Old Testament on, meals were a time for people to be at one. Mm. And you know, we use the term uh, theologically, religiously, atonement. Yeah. You know, um, Lent is a time for atonement, and literally, it means it's a time for being at one, at onement, and so every time jesus steps into a meal and especially who's on the guest list um these are moments of people being at one with god Mm. who many of the religious authorities of jesus day said no you don't deserve to be at one with god in fact that's why that's why they weren't invited in the first place because you're not at one with god so therefore you have no place here Mm. and what 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 kind of business is going on here? And so even as you read through some elements of the passion where people are plotting against Jesus, what's one of the main critiques that is part of the plot to bring him down? Look, he eats with sinners. This is a major... uh, You know, you don't hear too many references, oh, well, we don't like the way he was teaching, or, you know, that parable was a little sketchy. Mm -hmm. It has to do with who he is coming to table with. And so for Luke... Uh, All of these meals that Jesus was sharing had social implications, political implications, and especially religious implications.
0: Well, there's that danger aspect too, Father, because even as Jesus said, I must go up to Jerusalem, they were all saying, Jesus, you don't want to go there. That's a dangerous place for you. So though they're in the upper room, and obviously there's danger all around impending, you go back to the Exodus. People are, uh, you know, assuming something's going to happen here, and yet take the time out to consume a meal. I'm not sure I would be in that mindset. I'd be kind of like, I need to get my bags packed and be looking to escape. And yet Jesus says, "Let's sit down and be at one together and, and consume this meal together." I love in Luke where Jesus said, "I have so looked forward." To eating this meal with you that has always struck me as a beautiful and again that is image. that that
1: sort of phraseology is unique to luke yeah and why is it unique to luke because it fits into this bigger picture of the ta- uh, the mm. table ministry in other words this mm. is now again the apex the the culmination the 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 i don't know the axis around which everything is swirling because luke has already been laying the foundation for this and so this particular meal in which now Jesus is going to give his very self uh, before he is literally broken open, body broken, blood poured out. Of course he has longed because every single meal along the way has been a little foretaste, but Mm. now there's no more foretaste. There's no more anticipation. This is it. Mm. This is the thing. So Luke has that unique phraseology. I have longed because Jesus has been longing Mm. every time he you know, sat down for a meal. So in Luke, Luke 5, the banquet at Levi's. Yeah. Okay, you're eating with a notorious tax collector, the ultimate traitor and betrayal of his own people by collecting taxes to put in the Roman pocket as well as in his own pocket. Jesus goes and dines there, gets criticized for that, and yet it's a, it's a moment of liberation. What happens to Levi? Completely converted. I give all of what I have and make restitution and everything else. Life is changed because of that meal. That was a little foretaste of Mm -hmm. the Paschal Supper at that table where life was again going to be changed. Um, In Luke 7, uh, dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. Uh, He goes to in Luke 11, another dinner at a Pharisee's house. Um, You know, these are the ones who get being critiqued all the time. And we're a better place to lay down the new law of who Mm -hmm. gets to come to the table than at the house of those who were restricting who came Mm -hmm. to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in each of these kinds of places uh, in Luke 14, again, back to a Pharisee's house now on the Sabbath. Oh, my gosh. Of Mm -hmm. all the days to be reordering who has access, who has access. Because here's the thing, you know, so we know in the person of Jesus, you and I believe this is son of God. So even in Jesus' own time, you have access to a meal with Jesus, who is a, in their minds and hearts a, at this stage only, a, is a great prophet of God. Mm-hmm. You eat with a prophet, you're eating with God. Yeah. And so, you know, for you and I, when we go to the Eucharistic table, yes, we're we're we eating. We believe that. We believe that. We know it to be true. And just back to a point um, I'd like to pick up on that you just made, talking about the danger of being at any of these meals, the danger that was surrounding the upper room of the table of the Last Supper, uh, I think this is something that that we need to recover, uh, not out of fear, but to recover that to take the body and blood of Christ at the Eucharistic table, to share it, is dangerous mm. because it is a lot more, there's a lot more impact many more implications than just simply, oh, I piously consumed the body and blood of Christ. And now I'm spiritually nourished and grace is in my life. And, you know, all the kind of things that we, we sort of leave it on some sort of ethereal level, mm. but the share in the body and blood of Christ is, then we have to become what we receive. Yeah. We have to be broken. We have to be poured out. We have to cross borders that we're not comfortable with crossing. We, the, the heart of the poor should be first and foremost in our eyes, and we head out of the church. Those who can't share either literally in the body and blood of Christ or in caring for those who are unable to. This, this is our life and mission, and I think this is a thing that uh, that we miss so often. So, uh, you know, receiving the body in place is not an act of piety, uh, it's a yep. dangerous act yep. because it has, if it, I put it this way, and maybe this is a little strong to say, but if it, if I don't sense some danger in going forward to sharing the body and blood of Christ, or as I'm presiding at these liturgies and I'm consuming the body and blood of Christ, if I don't feel there's a little danger mm. because of what this means now, what this implies, what it requires of me, yep.
0: then somehow, as Paul would say, we're receiving in vain. Mm. Uh, like. so, Like Luke said, to whom much is given, much is required. I'm wondering if not having access now, as we are in this day, Father, it creates a hunger, but also hopefully will remind us that there is a little bit of danger there, and that there are expectations for this wonderful gift that Christ gives us. He invites us in to participate in his sufferings, as Colossians tells us. So, it's kind of interesting to see it from that perspective, but I, I thought I would just kind of, again, with you, continue to kind of probe this idea of the danger of that was all part of this experience that Jesus was having.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his this this particular moment, and again, to be able to then uh, be resolved to face to go forward into the passion, he needed that ultimate table fellowship because everything else now flowed out from that mm-hmm. so this upper room a place of intimacy and I think this is what is it's painting me and I'm sure painting so many of us we we are not having this intimacy around the table of the word and the table of the Eucharist in the ways that we're normally used to and as much as we're trying to do what we can live streaming and zooming and <laughs> all the other kind of things we're doing it, it's it it's not the same um, and we know it's not the same right um, and so uh, that in, that level of intimacy, because tables are a place for connection. They are a tab- place of blessing. They are a place actually to bring our brokenness together. And I think this is one of the things we explore. Some of these in a moment. Uh, this is both the beauty of now families gathered together more than they probably have ever been. Um, this is the challenge of it is there's a lot of brokenness brought to tables as well mm-hmm. um and this was present this was part of the danger of the last supper the brokenness of of the world the brokenness of sin all comes to this this particular table of the lord and yet also as we know in the mass a table is a place for mission you don't stay at the table forever and ever you, you're sent forth from the, this place by what you receive. So again, you know, Luke is, I guess the, maybe to close out on Luke is, you know, one of the great themes of of Luke is the mercy of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Pope Francis draws on obviously mercy incredibly. It's a central mm-hmm. theme of his papacy and something he's beautifully shared with us in so many different ways, shapes, and form. Um, and, and Luke, for Luke, the supreme symbol of God's mercy, of God's forgiveness, of reconciliation, of at one are these meals, and they are pre-resurrection, and where does Luke have the Lord pick up soon as <laughs> he is risen from the dead? Yeah. He's back at table <clears> again, <throat> again table. because this is the supreme place of, of, of coming back together again. So we know, then, in our own life experience, uh, tables, Eucharistic table, But also the tables of our own homes, they're places of connection, they're places of blessing, they're places of brokenness, uh, but they're also places of mission. So maybe we can kind of in our closing moments explore that a little bit.
0: I mean, Father, do you think that most of us as uh, cradle Catholics, we think of when we enter the church, we see the altar front and center, and yet we're talking about it in terms of being a table table kind of interesting that we kind of go back and forth on that it really is both and yet we look at the idea of an altar it's always a place where man has met with god and so we have that aspect of it but we see it more i think intently in terms of a table because of the personal relationship with the lord and obviously with jesus right
1: and again you know within our catholic uh, spirituality catholic theology Um, again in history we sort of teeter back and forth um, and it's not a matter of either or oh is that an altar or is it a table it's both and and it's a lot more than that Mm -hmm. Uh, there are many many things uh, that the that that physical um, reality in our church sanctuaries represents and so we don't lessen it anyway by because again uh, altars were places throughout history um, in our own Judeo-Christian tradition, places of sacrifice. But w- the, the reason that things were sacrificed and blessed there was so that people could be fed. Right. Uh, so there's <clears> even throat> altar throat> table is, uh, you know, it's, it's not a matter of I have to choose between or mm-hmm. somehow we lessen what goes on there uh, by calling that the Eucharistic table. It should be the altar and it should be glorious and it should be um, everything else. Well, not, not necessarily. Uh, it's serving the same purpose. People are, as you say, meeting God there. God is doing things for God's people there uh, in a variety of different, uh, different kind of ways. And again, we don't lessen it by saying this is the Eucharistic meal because again, at meals, many things are happening, the least of which often is as much as I enjoy food is the consu- consumption of food mm-hmm. um, It's mm-hmm. what else is going on there. there a New Testament scholar uh, once wrote that you know when Jesus himself, which I think is an interesting way of looking at it. When Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples, you know, what this forthcoming death you were talking about earlier, you know, what what this danger, this this crucible that he's now finding himself in, when he wanted to share with them and share with us, what is this death going to be all about? He didn't give them a theory. He didn't tell another really great parable. He gave them a meal. Mm. He gave them a meal Mm. because sharing a table nourishes us, binds us physically, spiritually. So at the table of the Paschal meal with Jesus and his followers, at the table of our Eucharist, at the table that people are sharing now in very close quarters uh, in their own homes, um, people are being connected uh, and connected, especially as Catholics through the Eucharist, connected in a way that no human meal, no human festival uh, could ever uh, connect us, and that's why we are continuing to try to keep people aware of the Eucharist is still going on, despite their inability to be part of it in person. Why? Because this this is this is the binding force uh, of our our life, and I hope, as you had alluded to earlier, that it just makes our hunger mm. grow even more. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you know I am privileged to be able to go to the altar. To consume the body and blood of christ when so many of my beloved parishioners most all cannot but even as i'm doing that i can tell you there's an incredible hunger in my heart in my soul Mm. and i would say that is present in every priest who is going into a darkened church and even if it's being videoed or live streamed or whatever uh there's a hunger still so even at the table being fed there's still always this hunger
0: and and hopefully, Father, what we're going to see it re- as a result is that perhaps for most of us as lay Catholics, we'll no longer have this kind of laxadaisical view about attending the Eucharistic feast and not only recover the whole importance of receiving Eucharist, but also... Recover the idea of we're also sent with a mission.
1: Absolutely. And you know, we are, and I don't say this mildly or flippantly or tritely, uh, we are in a great fast. Yes. The, the, the church, in many places in the world, not only in our own country, but in other places, this is our great fast. The bridegroom is here, but we are fasting mm. because we've been put into a situation of not being able to consume the body and blood of Christ. And so this is a long, hard, painful fast but yet throughout all of scripture and our own spiritual traditions the purpose to fast is so that we can come to the feast ready and willing and even more committed and more hungry than ever before and i am sure this is going to be the case the question is how long will that last <laughs> but but still that that hunger that hunger is there and uh, and the reason that we're being fed at the table and what that hunger is meant to do and i think this is what we see happening and hopefully can happen even more is we are still the people in mission mm-hmm. the table is the place you know so jesus at that paschal meal in that upper room that the mission is just beginning you know this 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 entering into his get up let's go um the mission is now becoming even more intense and so when we are at the table of the eucharist and even sharing table in our own homes with our families and friends or whoever we're able to share it with the table is a place to be sent from we are nourished for a mission remember do this in, in memory, memory of me, me. be broken mm. be poured out for others and of course john the great fish washing he uses the exact same Eucharistic language of the synoptics when he doesn't talk about a institutional narrative, but he places that foot washing right there in the center, and he uses the exact same words that the synoptics have used. When you do this, do this in memory, memory of, me. of me. So tables are a place for us to be sent in mission. Absolutely.
0: Well, we've certainly been enjoying this Lenten pilgrimage with Father Ben Berinti. And just to let our listeners know, we will be joining you again this Thursday at 11 a.m. We'll continue our pilgrimage looking at the prayer of an anguished heart, the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, can you give us a quick blessing? Sure. Be
1: happy to do that. Uh, Let's pray the Passionate Pilgrims prayer together. God of the journey, create in each of us a heart of a pilgrim. And give us the courage to set out on our Lenten pilgrimage. And may God Almighty continue to bless us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the presence of God be with you wherever you may go. Amen. Amen.